Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 5. <clears throat> John chapter 5, the majority of our text will come from this chapter. I'll add my welcome and appreciation for each and every one of you being here. We um, are so honored and, and blessed to be able to come together and, and worship our God on this special day. And we thank you all for being here and taking time to uh, keep your priorities in order. That is to, to come together on the first day of the week and, and be with the saints and show your appreciation and love for our God and our Creator and worship Him the way He has instructed us to do in the pages of the New Testament. Thankful to the men and the things that have happened up to now. You know, Paul instructs the Corinthians to do things orderly. And I believe that we have done that this morning and continue to do so. But we must be edified by our efforts as well. So that's why we come together, to be edified and to remember our Lord on this day. So thank you all for being here very much. I wanted to talk this morning about some witnesses of Jesus. You know, <clears throat> we'll get into some definitions here in just a moment, but the idea of Seeing our Lord. Can you imagine? <laughs> what if you were alive in the first century and were able to witness the things that our Lord did and said? Wow, how special that would have been. But the pages of the New Testament tell us about those things. And so that's what we'll focus on this morning is, is what we have recorded for us and the witnesses that are spoken of in the text. I wanted to begin by looking at this passage that, that Brad read for us. Brad always accuses me of, why am I reading? You're just going to follow up and read it again anyway, but I'm not going to read all of it. But John, in his first epistle, speaks about seeing and hearing what he has touched with his own hands. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands. He's telling his readers that we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. He was in the flesh. He says, and we have, down in verse 2, and we testify and proclaim to you eternal life. The things that they have seen, Now he's now telling the others. Come on down to the end of verse 2. It says, what was manifested to us, what we have seen we, and heard, we proclaim to you also. We've seen it. We've heard it. Now we're telling you. It comes down there to verse 4 and it says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Not only had he seen and heard and, and, and been in the presence of our Lord and been with him through his ministry. He's writing them down. He wrote it in his gospel. Now he's writing these letters and telling them further about the things that he witnessed, the things that he saw. Witnesses are important. But who or what is a witness? Well, we can look up some definitions and understand a witness is one who can give a firsthand account. We think about, you know, well, how many TV shows are there out there about courtrooms? 
They're either courtrooms or hospitals. I, I've made that determination. That's, that's what TV shows are, one or the other. We see this all the time, right? A witness on the stand. This is someone who has seen firsthand and can testify that indeed this is what I saw. A witness is one who furnishes evidence. I saw this. This is what happened. This is my firsthand account of it. Here's the evidence of it. A witness is also something that served as evidence. It's a sign. You know, there's something called a, a witness pole. It's used in construction and other things. You can mark, you know, the water came up this high, you know, back in 1938. There's a witness pole. This is where it was. That serves as evidence. That uh, marks something. It's a sign. It tells us about something. It's a witness. And as we've been saying, and as we know, there are witnesses of Jesus Christ in the flesh. You know, I, it, sometimes we lose sight of the fact, I think, that our Lord was walking this earth. We can go over there in those lands and see and, and trod those same areas where our Lord trod, trotted. Go up in the regions of Galilee. We can go into Jerusalem. We can physically be there, but without being there, sometimes it's, it's kind of hard for us to make that connection, isn't it? But our Lord was in this world, in the flesh, and people saw him, and people heard him, and people touched him. And there's witnesses of our Lord, and they can give that firsthand account. They can be on that witness stand and say, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I saw him do. Here's the evidence of it. Here's the, the extra fish and the bread that we picked up, you know, after our Lord performed that miracle and fed the 3,000 and the 5,000. They can provide that evidence. And there are four such witnesses in John chapter 5, and that's where we're, we'll go now, is, is to John chapter 5. We're, John records for us that there are indeed four witnesses, and these aren't the only ones, and, but it's certainly a, a very good summation, kind of a one-stop shop, if you will. And that's what we'll look at here this morning. But I wanted to begin with understanding that there are two uncredible witnesses in amongst these four credible witnesses that our Lord is going to talk about. Let's do a little bit of reading. You're there in John chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 30. It's our Lord speaking here. He says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me is true. I want to say something here that might shock you. But there's one of these uncredible witnesses, and that one is the son's witness of himself. Now, that sounds shocking, doesn't it? That our Lord is not a witness of himself. 
but look what it says there in verse 31. It says, if I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. Wow. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? But let's understand a few things about this. First of all, go back up to verse 26. It says, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son of Man also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to exercise judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, how much argument do we need to make about who Jesus Christ is? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why we're here today. So when Jesus makes this statement about not being a witness of himself, there's something to, to, to understand about this and that he's speaking more in human terms than anything else because he'll say later and we'll, and we'll look at that he is indeed a witness of himself. Look in verse 30. He says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is laying out his credentials there about who he is and who his father is. Look over in chapter 8 of John. Verse 13, beginning, says, The Pharisees therefore said to him, You are bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. We're going to talk about a little bit more about something about this bearing witness of oneself and the, the way that God has laid it out for men to bear witness of one another. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. So Jesus is reaffirming the idea that, look, my witness is true. But I'm going to speak on some human terms back over here in John chapter 5 about bearing witness. He is indeed the Son of God. But there's more to it than that. Even more than that, that bears witness of who he is. And that's what we'll get into here in just a moment. But he's laying the groundwork here. There's another uncredible witness that's mentioned here, and that's the witness of men. You know, I mentioned there about how God had laid out what he considers the, the law concerning witnesses. We go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. It says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses a matter shall be confirmed. So this is the standard. This is God's standard. And Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1. He says, This is the third time I'm coming to you. And then he referenced this on the evidence of two or three witnesses um, a matter shall be confirmed. So we understand by Paul's reference to that and understanding this is a godly principle and one that still holds up even in the New Testament. That the testimony of two or three men is by which something will be confirmed, not just one man. So this is what Jesus is, is speaking about. Now, again, we know who he was and who he is. But he's laying the groundwork here and saying, there's more than just me that testifies of me. And this is not coming from men. It comes from man. We've been looking at um, the life of Peter. And, and recently we were there in Matthew chapter 16 where Peter makes that confession. Remember, who do men say that I am? And they said they think you're Elijah or, or, or one of the prophets. 
Jeremiah. And then uh, God, uh, Jesus asked them, he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, remember, answers and says, you are uh, the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So as, as credible as we can, we can limit the credibility of men and their witnessing, but the credibility of, of God and the credibility of Jesus Christ is without question. Men can't be trusted. That's why there's two or three witnesses and not just one. One of the reasons given for this, our Lord speaks of, that they had no credibility because they needed to be saved themselves. Look in verse 34 here in John 5. It says, But the witness I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. You see, there's a, there's a problem with the, with the witness of men. Men are apt and subject to sin. And they need to be saved. We're kind of in this in the same boat over here as, as all other sinners. We need to be saved. So the credibility of our testimony is, is limited. So men need to be saved. And that's what compromises their credibility. It says also in verse 41 beginning that they're not credible because they do not love God. Look in verse 41. Here it says, I do not receive glory from men... But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? We talked about in our Bible class this morning how people can be led astray, that a charismatic figure can lead someone astray, and that's sad, and that's kind of human nature. Jesus is picking up on that here. He says, other men might come and you'll believe them. Why don't you believe me? The reason he gives is because the love of God is not in you. Paul in the Galatian letter says that I'm amazed at how quickly you're deserting the gospel for another gospel. Remember he says that in Galatians 1 verses 6 and 7. I'm amazed at this, that you're, that you're going after another gospel, which is, is not another gospel, he says. But it's, in, it's within men to, to be fickle, isn't it? To follow after something else, even though they know the truth. So the credibility of men is, is compromised. But he goes on to talk about these four credible witnesses that are mentioned here. Uh, we read there, verse 32, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me is true. And who he's talking about there, he reveals in the next verse, verse 33, says, you have, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So the first witness that, he, that our Lord mentions here of being a credible witness is John the Baptist. Remember about John the Baptist, don't we? Look back over in chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. It says, And this is the witness 
of John. I want you to, to pay special attention to the word witness and, and giving an account, those kind of ideas that come through this text and understand that this is what our Lord is, is speaking about, this one who came before him, John the Baptist. Again, verse 19 of chapter 1 in John. And this is the witness of John when the Jews sent him to the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And look what's verse 23. And he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. John the Baptist knew what his mission was. And his mission was to make way. Prepare the way for the coming Lord. He's not the Christ, but he bears witness of the Christ. Look also in, in verse 29 of John 1. It says, the next day, he, that is John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Back in our text in John chapter 5, Jesus is calling all this to mind. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So the first in the list here about who can testify, who has the, that firsthand account, who can bear witness, is John the Baptist. That was his mission. His mission was to bear witness of our Lord. The second witness that our Lord mentions here is the son's works, is his own works. Look here in verse 35. It says, And he was the lamp that is burning and was shining and were still willing to rejoice while we were in his light. Verse 36, But the witness which I have is greater than that of John, for the works which my father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the father has sent me. Remember back up there in verse 26 and 27 how he spoke about that, that God had, had given him to be a righteous judge. And now he's saying that the, the, the Father has given him things to do. And the very fact of his works give witness that he is indeed who he says he is. Look over in chapter 4 of John. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Jesus was sent here for a mission. He sent here on a mission to accomplish the works of God. And if you look over in John chapter 17, <clears throat> 
John chapter 17 and verse 4, he says, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. God had sent him on a mission. And that's indeed what he did. And he says here in verse 4 that I accomplished that. Look in verse 5 of John 17. And now glorified thee, uh, now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I manifested thy name to men who thou gavest me out of the world. They were mine, and thou hast givest them to me, and, thou have kept, and they have kept thy word. Now they have come to know that everything thou hast given me is from thee. So everything that God had given to mankind was given to him, or everything that Jesus had given to mankind was given to him by God. These are the works that he's talking about. These are the works that he accomplished. God sent him on a mission, and he accomplished that mission. He did all that the Father had given him to do. And those works bear witness of who he is. The next on our list here of credible witnesses, God the Father. Back in John 5, let's read verse 37. John 5, verse 37. And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. You neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. Jesus is saying here, I have, I have a, a very strong witness in my corner, and that is God the Father. He said, he bears witness of me. Well, back again to chapter 1 of John. Jesus made the statement there in John 5 in our text. It says, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Now remember who he's talking to here. He is talking to indeed those who had not seen God in any form. Back in John chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten of, of, uh, of God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. So in, in understanding who God is, Jesus Christ is who God is. No man has seen at any time the only begotten, but the only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And I, I've said this before, and, and I think I've preached a lesson on this. If you want to know God, know Jesus Christ. Because of verses like this. Jesus Christ has explained God the Father. So if we want to know about the witness of Jesus Christ, understand that he is the Father. He explains him perfectly. The Father bears witness of who Jesus Christ is. In chapter 10 of, of, of the book of John, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So indeed, if we want to know God the Father, study God the Son, because he explains him perfectly. So in this witnessing, Jesus says that there's God the Father that's a witness to me, and he and I are one. What stronger witness do we have? There's one more witness in the list here, and that's the witness of the Scriptures. Look in verse 39 of John 5. 
It says you search the scriptures because you think, it, uh, you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. The scriptures themselves bear witness of the Christ. We know that, don't we? We know that through the prophecy. All those prophecies of the coming Messiah. And we see them being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He says that. We talked about that in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to what? But to fulfill the law. So when Jesus says that the scriptures themselves are, are a witness to him, he's making that point. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18, this is Moses recording what God has said. He says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them, and all I command him. Peter uses this in his second sermon. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 22, he makes reference of this, and he makes the connection that who Moses is speaking about here is Jesus Christ. This is the one that's going to be raised up. And I will put my words in his mouth. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? See how all this is connected? And he shall speak to, him, uh, speak to them all that I command him. What did Jesus say? I'm doing the will of the Father. He's telling me what to do. And this is what I do. The scripture bear witness that he is indeed who he says he is. Because he is that one that was spoken of back there in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at verse, back in our text here, in John 5. Look down at verse 45. It says, Do not think that I came to accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is, is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Now that's a, a powerful statement there, isn't it? If you think about what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, look, I didn't, I, I didn't come here to accuse you. Moses has already done that. What's he meaning here? He's meaning that the scriptures bear witness of who I am. The scriptures tell of the coming Messiah. The scriptures tell how one ought to live a life pleasing to God. Jesus says, I come to fulfill the law. Moses has already told you. He's making broad reference here to the Old Testament, to the Moses and the prophets. They've told you about me. I don't need to accuse you. You've already been accused by the Old Testament, by those who have come before me. Verse 46. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? powerful. Those three verses are so powerful, especially given the immediate audience about the Jews who were stubborn and would not believe who Jesus Christ was. Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. You ought to know who I am. And if you believe Moses, you ought to believe my words. The scriptures bear witness of who Jesus Christ was and is. I want to make this point. Look over in John chapter 20. 
this talk about witnessing, about seeing and, and having seen. We remember this, don't we? About Thomas, remember? Thomas says, I'm not going to believe Jesus is risen until I can touch him, until I can put my hand in his side. And Jesus granted him that wish. Remember there, verse 28, Jesus, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Made a believer out of Thomas, didn't it? And look what Jesus says there. Because, in verse 29, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. We don't have the first-hand account of Jesus Christ in our own minds, in our own vision, shall we say. We have the testimony of these, and they're credible by what we just went through, understanding who John the Baptist was, understanding who Jesus Christ himself was and is, God the Father, the Scriptures. But we don't have the first hand. We didn't see our Lord hanging on that cross. And our Lord makes note of that. And what he says there, that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. We're blessed in believing through God's word about Jesus Christ. Verse 30 there in John chapter 20. Many other signs therefore Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Lots of other things were written. John goes on to say if, if we recorded them all, I guess they would fill up the whole world. The books would. But he says these have been written so that you might believe. We have not witnessed Jesus firsthand. But we have John the Baptist. John the Apostle records a lot about John the Baptist, and so do the other New Testament or the Gospel writers. We have Jesus' works. Those are recorded for us. The things that he did, the miracles that he performed. We have those. The teachings, the healings. We have God the Father. We have God the Father of the Old Testament. We can read about him, how he dealt with his children, how he punished the wicked, and how he exalted the righteous. And we have the scriptures. We have this wonderful book that tells us about Jesus Christ. And so we are a part of those that Jesus is talking about there. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. In our original scripture reading there in 1 John 1, in verse 4, John says, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John is acknowledging what we're talking about here. These things that we've seen and we've heard, we've touched with our own hands, we're, we're, we're writing them down so that others may know, so that others can know about Jesus Christ. And others can be brought into the fold and understand about God and his, and his plan for mankind because of what these witnesses tell us. And all these witnesses tell us that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. 
And his mission is encapsulated in that. That he came to do the will of the Father. And he says there that he did that. I accomplished that. All that you've given me to do, I have accomplished. And then the question comes down to us. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Because that's what it takes, isn't it? The evidence is there. We only scratch the surface. The evidence is there for Jesus Christ. The witnesses are there. Even Jesus himself points out these four witnesses in this account. But all that is irrelevant if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If indeed we do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we can be baptized, we can come up out of the waters a new creature to walk in newness of life and indeed be a child of God. That is the message of the gospel. If you're not a child of God, you can become one. By hearing and believing and repenting of the sins that you have committed in your former life. And making this good confession. And then being immersed in the waters of baptism. You can do that. If as a child of God, you've lost your way. You've forgotten who Jesus Christ is. I encourage you to renew your relationship. Refresh your relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.